Do you remember when you were a little boy or a little girl? Yeah, I want to take you back a lot of years right now. I like to do that from time to time, take us back in time. Do you remember when you were a little boy or a little girl and your mother warned you about touching the hot stove? She didn't want you to get burned. She knew that it was hot, and she knew that if you touched the stove, that you would burn your hand or whatever piece of your skin touched that stove. My mother has a picture of my sister. And in the picture, Chris is only about one year old. And it's one of those, I, I guess it was one of those 110, was that 110 film, the square? Like the original Instagram? You remember the original Instagram? Yeah, the one where you had the square photo with the white border, and then over time it became yellow, you know, or some shade of yellow. And yeah, that's the picture. You can see it in your head right now. And there's Chris. She's sitting there. She's one years old, and she's got bandages on both hands of, 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 her, of her hands, bandages all over her hands, and she looks like like Muhammad Ali, like she's going to punch you. She looks like she's a boxer, but really she burnt her hands on the stove. And it's a picture that's forever etched in my brain and for her too. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, it's a reminder, don't touch the stove when it's hot. The moral commands of God are like your mother's warning about the hot stove. If you do these things, you'll get burned. So don't do them. And so when you think of the commands, the commands that God has given, some people look at the commands and they say, well, God is just trying to be a killjoy. He's just trying to mess up all the fun. No, he's trying to keep you alive. He's trying to, like your mother or like a good, good father, he's trying to provide you the direction to steer you clear of that which will surely bring destruction in your life. And so when you look at the moral commands, they're there like the command of your mother not to touch the stove. I want to take your attention to the book of Proverbs chapter 6. I'll have it up on the screen. We'll begin reading in verse 27. It says this. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief. He steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. The reason God tells us to stay away from immoral behavior and really all sin is not just things like adultery and things like that, the really bad stuff that you can think of. It's really the command to steer clear of all sin. And the reason why is because he knows that sin is going to burn us. It's going to bring uh, destruction into our life, and he doesn't want us to be burned. He, he has the best. Believe it or not, God has the best in mind for you. He is the best in mind for me. He knows what's going to burn us, and he, he knows what's going to cause destruction in our lives. 
Now tonight in our study, we're going to take a look at a, a Genesis chapter 38. This is the chapter that we've come to. And we will look at the life of one of Jacob's sons. His son, it's his fourth son, Judah. This chapter is a story of how he went to the wrong place at the wrong time and did the wrong thing. And we, we need to learn a lesson. We need to learn the lessons from the scriptures. Paul the apostle tells us that these things were recorded for us as an example for us, an example of everything really, of everything. And this example of what not to do. Sometimes we have positive examples, sometimes we have negative examples. Tonight we're looking at a negative example of what not to do. But there is hope. There is hope even though we'll look at what Judah did in this chapter and we'll, some of us will just kind of be looking down at the page and so on and so forth at some of the things we're going to read tonight. But in the end, there's hope. There is the gospel, there is the grace, the love of Jesus that, that is extended to all people, all of us who've sinned and fallen short of the glory. And we can be redeemed, those sins can be washed away, and we can have the benefit of the gospel in our lives. And so tonight I've got three points for you. If you're taking notes, if you've got your little sheet there, the first, the first point is this, the wrong place. Sometimes you can just get yourself into the wrong place. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 38 of Genesis. It's, it says this, it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he, and he married her and went into her. And so she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bore a son and called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Kezib where she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother." And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest, all, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. The wrong place. There is something that God has given to each and every person that is born into the earth, something that God has given to us, and it is choice, it is free will. We have the freedom to choose, we have free will. And that free will, the exercise of that free will can put us sometimes in the wrong place. We can choose because of that freedom of choice that we have to go and, and to do. And you can go and do whatever it is you want, whatever it is you set your heart to, whatever it is that you want to do, you can do. And sometimes those choices will put us in the wrong places. Sometimes they'll put us in the right places. Amen. 
Sometimes we don't all make, all of our choices aren't bad. Sometimes we make good choices. So sometimes we're in the right place. Sometimes we're in the wrong place. Now, just because you're in the wrong place doesn't make, mean you'll end up making the wrong decision. But being in the wrong place will kind of, the numbers go uh, like this in terms of you making the wrong choice from there once you find yourself in the wrong place. So once you find yourself in the wrong place, it's a whole lot easier to do the wrong thing when you're in the wrong place place. From there, we can make wrong choices further and end up in the wrong actions. Now, Judah, we have this chapter where Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, departs after Joseph is sold in to the Midianite traders. If you weren't here last week, we talked about, we, we talked about Joseph. We talked about how Joseph was hated by his brothers and he had, remember he had the big coat, the coat that signified that he was the favorite, the coat that signified that he was in charge. And we talked about that. And they, they hated him and they hated him for that. They hated him for the dreams that he had. And they threw him in a pit and they sold him into slavery. They sold him to these Ishmaelites that were kind of these nomadic Ishmaelites that were passing through. And eventually he was sold into Egypt, into Potiphar's house. But we pick it up at the end of that chapter and flowing into the beginning of this chapter. And so Judah actually kind of just departs from the, the rest of his brothers. He goes kind of in a different Direction, And this is where the story begins for this chapter. And he makes friends with an Adulamite, and his name was Hira. And this is kind of the beginning of the story. He goes out, he makes friends with this uh, Adulamite, this Canaanite guy. And this is where it kind of begins to uh, go south a little bit for Judah. And so, uh, you know, the message here is, you know, we've got to be careful about who we're in fellowship with. You know, we've got to be careful. It's, 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 not, it's not to say that we should be the type of people that we separate ourselves and have no contact with the Lord. We are in the world. Jesus left us in the world, but he said to us, we're not of the world. And we need to be careful because we are in the world, but not of it. We need to be careful about the types of fellowship that we have. It doesn't mean that you can't be friends with a non-believer. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you can't uh, talk to someone that's not a believer. We should talk and we should be bringing the gospel to bear in those situations. Amen. But we need to be careful about the relationships because if we're not careful, if we don't guard our hearts and our minds, those, those fellowships, those relationships can be, become an influence on us instead of us being an influence for the Lord in that situation. And so we need to be careful about the fellowship that we're in. And the, a really good question for all of us is, do we have the proper fellowship and relationships with other believers in our lives? It, you know, it's one thing to have friends and have different spheres of influence and different spheres of friends and stuff, but we need that solid base of the Christian brothers and sisters. We need that solid base of Christian fellowship in our lives, and we, we need it. We need it. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of excuses that people, you know, have for not having the proper fellowship in their life. Well, I got, I'm busy and I don't have time for this and that. I, I just saw this on Facebook and you, you, you see all this stuff. It's all this crazy stuff on Facebook. But anyways, I saw this person that posted a video of a mother and she was playing the drums in, in a church service. <laughs> Anybody see this? She's playing the, you probably posted it. It was probably you. You're the reason why I'm saying this right now, probably. 
But anyways, there's this mother playing the drums in the church service, and she's playing the drums, and she's doing this, and she's got her baby. And she's, she's got her baby, and she's playing the drums, and she's worshiping the Lord, and everything's great. And, this, and the caption is, what's your excuse? <laughs> right? Right? What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Here she is double timing it. And, and, and we've got all kinds of excuses as to why we can't do this and why we can't do that. Here she is just doing it, just doing it. Amen. And we got to be those type of people. Just do it. And you'll be glad you did. I'm, I've never, ever been disappointed in being in fellowship, being in the Bible study, being in worship, being in the presence of God, rubbing shoulders with my brothers and sisters in Christ, sharing that commonality of salvation and eternal life that we all share. I've never, ever been disappointed. In fact, I've been lifted up. I've been lifted up to a higher place. I go up, I go out with joy, and I go out on a higher plane. Amen? And, and you can do that too. And it's not just here either. It's not just in a service. It's not just in this type of setting. It's just having that proper fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? So we need to watch that. So Judah ends up having these relate. He took a Canaanite girl to be his wife. Remember the outrage when the Canaanite man, Shechem, from Shechem, violated their sister? And the outrage that they all had, and, and of course it was Simeon and Levi that took the revenge on those Canaanite men after they had entered into the agreement that they would, be, that they would dwell together and the, the, the Canaanites agreed to be circumcised. And on the third day, it was Simeon and Levi who descended upon those men and, and killed them. And, and at the end of the chapter, uh, Jacob is upset with them and you've made me obnoxious in the, in the sight of the people, in the nostrils of the people. And, and the brothers fired back to their, their dad. Well, were we just going to let our sister be treated like a harlot? And that's, how, that's basically how the chapter ended, right? And so here, just a couple chapters later, you have Judah going into the Canaanites and marrying a Canaanite woman. Well, they have some kids. They have three boys. And I don't know what it is with these Old Testament women, but they can put some boys out into the world. Amen? <laughs> Mary Jo, I think you were an Old Testament woman. <laughs> I, we, I have this, we have these friends in Virginia that had 11 girls, right? 11 girls in a row. And the guy who's our friend, he delivered them all. <laughs> this is one of those hardcore guys, man. He, he, you're much respect, much respect. But anyways, he's got this shirt that says, you know, as each one of them gets married, he's got like, you know, it said not, you know, 10 down or one down, 10 to go. Then it was nine down, two, two down, nine to go. And as each one gets married off, he has to change his shirt. One of these days he'll be free and him and his wife can go out, drive off into the sunset and do whatever they're going to do. But anyways, these Old Testament women can have some baby boys and they had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And, and the, the boys grow up, Ur grows up, and Judah goes out and finds his firstborn son, a wife, and her name is um, 
uh, Tamar. And so this was the time, of course, when, you know, you had arranged marriages. We've been going through Genesis. We've seen all these arranged marriages, right? So, you know, Abraham sent his servant to go find a, a wife for Isaac and, and so on and so forth. And, and so this is how, you know, for the most part it was done. And, and so they get married and this son of Judah, it, he was wicked. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and, he, and it doesn't tell us what type of wickedness that he was involved in, but, but the, the Lord was highly displeased, so displeased. I, I, it leads me to believe that it, was, it had to have been some form of, of blasphemy, some form of, 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 of wickedness that, that is so grievous to the heart of the Lord that it, he was literally destroyed. And if you, if you go in, in, in sin, if you go in that direction long enough, sure enough, one way or the other, it's going to destroy you. And, and Ur had gotten into some wickedness. And of course, the Canaanites, his mother was a Canaanite. His father was Judah, the son of Jacob, but his mother was a Canaanite and he ended up in some wickedness. And uh, you know, you read a verse like this where God killed him and you kind of were like, whoa, and this is the thing that the atheists run wild with and say, well, see, God's a, a capricious God. He just kind of does whatever he wants to do and just arbitrarily kills people. No, he doesn't. We just sang it tonight. He's perfect in all of his ways. Amen. He's perfect in all of his ways. And there was a time when Aaron, the high priest, had a, he had a couple of boys and two of them got into some profane things as they were ministering in the tabernacle. And the, the text there in Leviticus talks about how they, they, they brought a strange fire before the tabernacle of the Lord and the fire went out and burnt them. And, 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 and it, it was a profane fire. It was an ungodly thing. And, and, and so you probably had some type of a semblance of that in this situation where you had Ur, who was just wicked. He lived, his, he lived his life in a wicked way. Severe wickedness will bring early death to a lot of people. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you know, we're all headed to the grave. We're all going to die. But if you're saved, you're going to live forever with Jesus. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But if you get involved deeper and deeper into wickedness, if you've ever noticed, the deeper and deeper people get involved in wicked things, that it brings about an early death, an early destruction. And we're seeing that even in our, um, we've seen it all throughout history. Nothing's new under the sun, right? But we're looking out across the landscape of our culture and we're seeing uh, the same exact thing. So, so Ur died and so Judah told Onan, the second born, he said, go into Ur, Ur's wife, Tamar, and, and raise up an heir for your brother. And it was a custom that if an older brother died without an heir in his family, in his lineage, that the younger brother would marry his brother's wife, and the first son that was born from, from that marriage would, would not be counted as that guy's heir, that guy's son. It would literally be counted as the heir of his older brother that was without an heir. And so Onan uh, knew this, and he did not go along with this. He, he, he did not want to raise up an heir for his brother. He didn't, didn't want, not want to do this. And so, yeah, this is where it gets a little kind of, you know, beyond PG-13 and whatever, but you guys get the picture. 
Um, so he went in and it says that, that he admitted or he, you know, depending upon what translation you read, it, like he spilled his seed, right? Okay, so he spilled his seed. Why? Because he did not want Tamar to be pregnant. He did not want to give his brother an heir. And this was a wicked thing in the sight of the Lord um, and because this is something that God had established because that type of thing was, was very, it, it was, it, this, was, this was not just kind of like some small stuff it, in this culture. The, 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 the lineage and the heir and the, the, the person that would be brought up in your family to be your heir, this was all very, very, very important stuff in this Near East culture. And so... Uh, and so this is what Onan did. And of course, it brought, uh, God brought destruction to him. And, and then, of course, it would, it would fall into the next brother, but he wasn't old enough. So that's where they, they kind of cut it off and, and, and went from there. Now, just a comment on this particular verse, Genesis 38, 9. I remember when I first found this verse when I was like a teenager. I'm like, ooh, ooh what's this, you know? And uh, the Bible is interesting, right? You know? And, uh, <laughs> right? And so... <clears throat> People have actually used this verse for all kinds of teaching, okay? They've, they've used this to kind of spell out all kinds of stuff, and specifically around the topic of birth control. And they, they, they use this to see, well, God doesn't like birth control and, and this type of thing. And really, I, I don't think that that's it. it. It's not about, it is birth control in a sense, but it's not just birth control in general. It's birth control in this sense that what he did was specifically not raising up an heir for his brother. And this was something that was a tragic, tragic situation for the people of this culture. And it was something that God looked down upon very severely. So what did Judah do? He told his, his daughter-in-law, he said, look, you know, third son is too young. And so you're just going to have to be a widow for a while until he grows up. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. So Judah told Tamar to go back to her father's house and live as a widow until Shayla grows up. And, uh, I think, you know, at this point, Judah's probably worried, man, if I give this, give my third son to, uh, to this woman, who knows what's going to happen, right? I need to protect my son, you know? And, um, and so anyways, um, might not be good for the family, the lineage, but anyways, the, the, the message of this, this section here is just, you know, sometimes you get into the wrong place and it can, it can lead to all kinds of crazy stuff and it can bring some crazy outcomes. And we need to be careful about being in the wrong place. Now, secondly, if you're taking notes, the wrong place can lead to the wrong actions, the wrong actions. Let's go back to the text, Genesis 38. Let's pick it up, verse 12. It says this, now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to, to his sheep shears at Timnah. He and his friend, Hira, the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with, with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she had, her, uh, she had covered her face. And then he turned 
to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge until you send it? And then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So, so she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. And then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. And so, so she arose and went away and lay aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of the friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he not, did not find her. And then he asked the man of the place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. And then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent the young goat, and we have not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that, Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. And so Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at that time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was that when she was giving birth, that one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly and said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. So you can end up, if you're not careful, in the wrong place, and the wrong place can lead you to the wrong actions in many cases. And it, it, at least it, it's an easier slide down the slippery slope, if you will. Now Judah's wife Shua died, and Judah wanted to be comforted, so he set up, he went out to his sheep shears to Timnah. And he went to Timnah with his friend Hira. And, and Tamar, his daughter-in-law, finds out about it, finds out that he's coming, and she is thinking, well, when is Judah going to give me his third son, right? Well, anyway, she goes out, she took off her widow's clothes and covered her face with a veil, like the temple prostitutes of the Canaanites. And they were a very immoral, immoral people. They were a, a profane people. They were, uh, their immorality was not only just profane, but it involved a lot of pro very profane sexual practices. By the time you get to the time of Joshua, or Moses bringing the people out of Israel, the, 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 you know, the time that 400 years where the Bible talks about the sin of the Canaanites. He says you know, to Abraham, I'm going to bring your people back here. But the, you know, there's going to be a time where the sin of the Canaanites is going to be full. So in other words, it's this time where God kind of lets things go. He, he lets people make their choices. He lets the world go. And, it, and, and there's going to be times when the Lord steps in and says, you know, I'm not going to let it go any further than that. And so 
part of the, the conquest of Joshua bringing the people of Israel into the land was that he was putting an end to the sin of the Canaanites. That was a, a very, very ungodly, profane, uh, religious uh, practice of this people. And it, it centered around a, a very profane, sexually immoral practice, whereas they would uh, sleep with the temple prostitutes. The prostitutes would become pregnant. The, the offspring from those prostitutes would actually, the babies would be laying on the brazen arms of the, of the god Molech. And that's why when uh, God was warning the people of Israel, when they came into the land, he said, do not let your, uh, let, let your children go through the fires. What was he talking about? Do not let your ch children be put on the fires, the brazen hot arms of Molech. And it was, it was um, the babies being uh, given up in this immoral practice. And, uh, and so it was an abomination. There's more that can be said there. If you want, look up a video that I did on, um, it's on the internet on YouTube, being pro-life is the old being green. Yeah, look at that video and I, I go into, uh, yeah, the green movement because the shedding of innocent blood is the pollutant to the land and that's exactly what kicked out the Canaanites from the land. So anyways, you had a very perverse people. And so, uh, so Judah comes onto the scene and, and he sees this harlot and Judah propositioned her. And, uh, you know, I don't know where Judah was in his mind. You know, I don't know what was going on in his heart, but you know, he's out there propositioning a prostitute, you know, and, 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 and there's guys you know, that end up in this situation, they're out there, who knows how they got there, who knows what the, the string of, of the thought process, you know, uh, that, that brought them to that point and they're out there and here, here's Judah and he's, pro, he's propositioning a prostitute and, and, and to make matters even worse, he doesn't even know that it's his daughter-in-law. And so this is salacious stuff, but stay tuned to the end because God, God redeems. God is a redeeming God. Amen. So you end up in the wrong place and then the wrong, and then you can end up in the wrong actions. Now there does seem to be a connection with being in the right place at the right time and continuing with the right actions. Have you ever heard that? The right place, right time. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong, wrong result, wrong actions. And when you're in the right place and the right time and you're making those right decisions, you can kind of feel that, you know, things are right. And you know when things are right. You have that conscience. Not, you've been given free will, but you've also given a, been given a conscience. Hopefully it's not been seared so much by sin that it is past feeling. If you still have a feeling conscious, you know when, you're, when it's right. You know when it's right because you're conscious and, and the Holy Spirit is there to, to, to guide and then you know when it's wrong. You know when it's, it's not right. And uh, you've got you've to you've watch out for being in the wrong place and then making the wrong decision in that place. And again, it's all yours. It's your decision. God's given you that choice. Just take a quick little detour here because I think this is relevant. Um, Remember in our study of creation in Genesis 1, we talked about, briefly, we talked about quantum physics, we talked about quantum mechanics, 
Um, and there are guys that link the wave function collapse to free will, believe it or not. Like, you know, because if you look at, you, you have to have a philosophy that actually kind of brings the, the, the reality, the, the real world to, to bear upon the situation. So what is ultimately truth? If you look at a hardcore atheist, if you read the material, they're all hardcore determinists, which means we do not have free will. But somehow when we read the Bible, it seems to be, seems to me that God gave us free will. So somewhere in the realm of reality, there is the element of free will. I've read some stuff where some guys have linked the, the collapse of the wave function to free will. Why? Because the observation of the observer collapses the wave function and brings those, those quanta, those physical particles to an actual state. And so the observation, the decision of the observer is a part of that process. And so we've got to be a part of that process. In other words, what are you saying, Charles? The, your observation, the observation of your life, the decisions that you're making in your life are bringing you to either the right place with the right actions or a wrong place with the wrong actions. And it's totally weird, but there's a case to be made for free will from quantum physics. And there's a case to be made that our free will choices and observations put us physically in either the right place or the wrong place with the right place, the right actions or the wrong actions. And it can snowball from there, and it does for Judah. He propositions her, and she responded, what will you give me that you, that you may come into me? And Judah told her that he would give her a kid of the goats. And Tamar asked, well, what will you give me as a pledge before, so I will know that you will bring me this? What will you give me as a pledge? And, and Tamar said, your signet, bring, give me your signet and cord and your staff. And he gave them to her and went into her. When a person enters into, into sexual immorality specifically, but other immoralities, there is loss. When you look at these things that he gave as a pledge, the signet was the seal, which really represented him. The, the, the cord was kind of the cord, it was, it was actually like kind of like a piece of jewelry that perhaps that you would hang the signet on. Uh, when you get to judges, there's these Arabs that actually have a, a signet with a cord, and their signet is actually a, a moon. They were like worshipers of the moon god. It's actually kind of an early reference, uh, as early Islamic, or uh, prelude, pre-Islamic reference in the book of Judges, chapter 9. Very interesting reference there. But anyways, so you had the signet that represented him. You had the cord, which is really like a necklace or a piece of jewelry. And then you have the staff, which represented his authority, his position. So you had his signet, which is him. His bracelet is, is, is necklace, which was kind of like material stuff. And then the staff representing his, his position. And it's exactly what you lose when you enter into this type of morality. And we've seen it time and time again. Prominent people that have, they have, they're a person in the community. They've, they've, got, they've got stuff and they've got authority. They've got position and power and they, and they go 
and do this type of stuff and they end up losing it all. And we've seen it, whether it's in the political realm, whether it's in, the, in, in just other forms of, of the culture, and even, sadly to say, in the church. And we've got to watch that because you can lose it all. You can lose it all. And, you know, Samson was actually a, a picture of this. When you look at Samson, here's a guy who had, I mean, anybody see that Samson movie? That new one that just came out? Was it any good? I don't know. But anyways, I don't know if Samson was a good-looking guy, but whenever you read the book of Judges, you picture this kind of really, you know, kind of handsome, long-haired guy, you know, not really like a Fabio-type guy, like, you know, a better guy than that, you know? But you got this guy who's just doing it, and he's just, you know, his, he's, he's the guy, right? He's the guy. And what do you see by the end of the, end of the story of Samson? You see that his, his, his strength has been taken, his eyesight has been taken, his eyes have been gouged out. He's literally there grinding the, the mill, the, 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 the treading out the wheat the, with, uh, with the millstone. And that's what sin will do. It'll, it'll bind you, grind you, and blind you. And uh, that's what it did with Samson. So, and then you'll lose your signet, your stuff, and your staff. Okay, write all that down. Yeah. <laughs> you, your property, your position. Man, what do you do? How do we stop this? <laughs> How do we prevent this from happening in our lives? Well, James gave us a little insight. In James chapter 1, verse 14, you'll see it up on the screen. He says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I remember when I was in Bible college and one of my friends who's actually a professor at a, a Christian university in, in Texas, I remember when he was a senior and he, gave, he, he got to preach in chapel and I don't know how he got away with this, but he was promoting for like a couple of days around campus the title of his message and it was why he's pro-choice. And that was the thing. And it was like, what? Scandal. Scandal at Southeastern Bible College. And so it was all about ending sin before it was conceived and taking it out. And this is the, the whole thing. We're, we're led away by our own desires and enticed. And, and when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And so how do you stop it? You've got to cut it off on, on that desire stage because the desire, we're led, we're led, we're, you know, that's what happens with these guys. They're led out to these places. You see these, um, I remember the show, what was it? To Catch a Predator, and you see these guys. And some of it, you're disgusted. And on the other half, you're like, what happened to this guy that he's out there, you know, doing this kind of stuff? You've got to cut it off at the desire. Submit it to Christ. Submit it to Christ and, and get, it, get the blood of Jesus to, to, to be brought to bear upon your situation. Amen? Amen. Tamar conceived by Judah in this union. And so Judah sent his friend with the kid goat to, to, to give the harlot, to give the prostitute uh, her kid of the goat. And and Hera could not find her. She was nowhere to be found. And they asked the men. And they said, well, there wasn't even such a woman in this area. So a Ju Judah assumes the loss of all his things because they had not been found. I wonder, I wonder 
Wonder if he was asked, hey, where's your signet? Where's your, where's your cord? Where's your staff, Judah? When Tamar had been pregnant for three months, Judah was told about it. And he was told that she had played the harlot. She had been a prostitute and she's with child because she had prostituted herself. And how did Judah react? He said, burn her. She deserves to be burned. Right? It's interesting when you see people that are quick to judgment <laughs> are generally the ones, not all the time, sometimes are the ones that have problems. Most people, I, I tell you what, the more I look at my own self, the more I look at the shortcomings that I have, the more I want to throw myself at the mercy and the grace and the love of God, and the more that I want that for the, the people that are around me, the more, the more I realize we're, we're a people where we're, 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 our lips are unclean and we live in a land of, of unclean people. And we need to be cleansed and cleaned by the blood of Christ. And we need, the, we need the, the, the love of God. We need the mercy and the grace of God. Amen? So Tamar, Tamar tells Judah, hey, the man who owns these things is the man by whom I'm pregnant. Who's this seal? Whose seal is this with the big J on it? Judah, Judah acknowledged his things. He said, Tamar was more righteous than I was. And he had not given her Shelah's son. Not only had he done what he did, but he had not given her that third son that he should have given her. And he never knew it again. And so this is kind of where we are. And so then there's a pregnancy that comes about so here's the message so far wrong place wrong time can lead to wrong actions but even if you find yourself going through that entire sequence God is still God he's still a God of love he's still a God who can redeem the situation he can Redeem the mass murderer on death row at the last second. You say, Charles, are you sure? I'm sure. He told the thief on the cross, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he looked at that man and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen? So, through God, he can create the right connection that we need. So let's go back to the text, pick it up again. Verse 24, we read it, but I want to read it again. Uh, 27. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife Midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it upon his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Let me just stop right there and say, 
man, some crazy birth situations with these twins in the book of Genesis, right? You got people grabbing people's heels. You've got hands coming out and being pulled back in and scarlet threads and all kinds of crazy obstetric situations. <laughs> right? I mean, some crazy stuff. I mean, can you imagine the arm comes out, put a scarlet thread on it, pull it, he pulls it back in. Wait, fake, fake you out. I'm not ready to come out yet. So his brother comes out and, 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 and he's got no scarlet thread on him and, and, and he's just kind of bursting forth. And that's what, that's how it happens. Those babies come bursting forth. Amen. And that's what Perez did. And then after Perez comes out, then the second guy comes out and he's the one with the scarlet thread tied on his cute little baby wrist. And so what in the world is all this? You cannot have a very obscure thing like this and there not be some significance to this situation. Perez means breakthrough. Or really, how did you break through? God uses this, the birth of these twins that was the result of a wrong place, wrong time, wrong action, sequence of events to bring about his grace and mercy and a right connection through Judah, even though he had royally blown the situation. God uses the birth of these twins. To show us a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The scarlet thread is a theme in the Bible. Remember from your studies of Joshua that there was the scarlet cord used by Rahab to identify her as the one who had hid the spies and was to be protected and saved out from the land, from the city of Jericho. And she had helped the spies. The scarlet thread points forward to Christ, to Christ's work on the cross. He shed his blood, which was scarlet. He took the scarlet sins of the world upon himself. Though our sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Why? Because of the blood of Christ that was shed on our, on, on our behalf. And he has turned to, uh, he was turned scarlet. The blood uh, pouring down his face and his body because of the scourgings. And here he was, this scarlet mess of a man, Jesus. Scourged blood. And then we've been talking about this, the, the Matthew scene of the crucifixion, when he's brought back from the scourging and he's wrapped in a, in a scarlet robe and the crown of thorns is placed upon his head. That's when Jesus literally, he was literally wrapped, covered from head to toe it with the sins of the world. He took the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And he went to the cross and he breathed his last. And he went back in. <laughs> he was put back. He, he went into the tomb and then he came out. The man with the scarlet cord. Amen? It's a picture of the 
the gospel of Christ. On the third day, he broke out. How did he do that? Why did he do that? He, he was brought back to life. He was resurrected from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave for us because he loves us, because he wanted to offer to us those that sat in darkness, he wanted to bring us into light. Those who were on our way to sure destruction, in fact, we were already destroyed. Paul put it this way to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but God, who's rich in mercy, brought you to life. Amen? This is a picture of God's grace in the midst of all this sin and failure, in the midst of this entire chapter that you read through and you go, Why? how could this be my devotional passage for the day? How could this be the passage that I showed up at South Coast on this night? How could this be the passage? Couldn't we have had another more encouraging passage? This is the encouragement of the gospel right here that he took your sins and he paid the price and no matter what you've done, no matter what happens in your life, you can know Christ and you can be forgiven of your sins. You can be an overcomer. Tamar and these two boys are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. What's that? This woman and these two boys, these two twin boys, Perez bursting out, and Scarlet boy, baby boy, mentioned in the first chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, you'll see it on the screen, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And who was the son of David? Jesus. Jesus. So no matter what's happened, Jesus can redeem, he can restore, he's there to love, he's there to forgive, he's there to bring you back from the depths, he can turn your story around, he can turn a salacious story into a story of the redemption of Christ in your life. Amen? Amen. This is what Jesus does. He takes our sins, he takes our failures, he takes our burns, He takes those wounds where we touched the stove and burned our hands and wrapped them. And he gives us his love. He brings healing. He brings his life. He brings the joy of salvation into our hearts. Amen? And that's what's available to every single person through Christ.